Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast with three geeky millennials. My name is Hua Chen Bui. I'm a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in D.C. I am Ani Crittenden, a writer at Gay Star News. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. Okay, guys, it is our 99th episode, and today we are doing our monthly millennial movie review, Star Wars The Last Jedi. So, this is the eighth saga Star Wars film, uh, episode eight, locally known as. Um, it is directed and written by Ryan Johnson. Um, this is the first time that it's been written by a, by like one person since George Lucas, I believe. Um, it stars Daisy Ridley, Mark Hamill, John Boyega, um, uh, Oscar Isaac, uh, Adam Carrie Driver. Fisher, Adam Driver, Carrie Fisher, um, Kelly Marie, Marie Tran. Tran. Um, Donald Gleason. Hmm? Donald, Donald Gleason. Gleason. Yes, not Domino Hall Gleason, but Donald. Um, and then also uh, Laura Dern. And then um, and we've also got Anthony Daniels returning as C-3PO. And we can talk about more people who return later on. So this is a great movie. I'm just going to put it out there right right away. And uh, we're going to break our review down like we normally do at the monthly Millennial Movie Review episode. We're going to do uh, characters, we're going to do theme, and we're going to do plot. Um, we have a lot to get to. We're probably not going to do every little thing that we want to review because we want to keep this under an hour. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll go way too long. So without further ado, let's talk about our general thoughts. HT, why don't you go first? So... I would say that I'm probably the most casual Star Wars fan of this group. I really enjoy the Star Wars movies, but I've never quite had the same just like gripping emotional connection that I think a lot of huge Star Wars fans do. I really enjoy them. I think they're great stories. I love the depiction of uh, a space opera meets Joseph Campbell's hero's journey meets uh, vague Eastern Oriental um, influences. And I really appreciate everything that Star Wars has done and all the great characters it's brought. I think Star Wars Last Jedi is the first movie where I felt fully like, engrossed and enraptured by a Star Wars film. I will, I will, say, I will say I think this is my favorite Star Wars movie. I nice. was completely blown away by the way that Ryan Johnson just burned and destroyed everything that yes. the, last, the rest of the Star Wars franchise has built up to. And he did it with... Sometimes literally with in him. the film. Yeah. He did it with glee, and he did it so elegantly and... Well, I wouldn't say elegantly, but he did it so so expertly that and set up a whole new just array of um, opportunities for this fran for where this franchise can go. So it's a really exciting film for me because... Um, I think that the Star Wars franchise up until now has has been very involved in that sort of legacy and what it means to fans who have been with it for 30, 40 years. And it's really exciting for me that Star Wars Last Jedi just completely 
upends that. And yes, um, agreed. yeah, it has it has its problems. There are it's definitely way too long. There's a subplot or two that could have been trimmed, and uh, Canto Bite was definitely a little definitely longer than it should have been. But I really like the new characters that were introduced. I got very emotional seeing Kelly Marie Tran on screen, who is a Vietnamese-American like myself. And I really love her character, Rose, and what she added to the plot. I was over the moon with Luke's arc. Luke's arc was, was my favorite of the film. So Luke is another character who I you know, appreciated and was kind of not was kind of cold to in the original uh, trilogy, but here that really brought home to me how important Luke was and what a great character he was because it added so many new layers of complexities and basically like deconstructed the hero's journey that he first embarked on back in A New Hope. And I really loved that. So I was brought to tears a little bit in that one scene that I'll mention later after we get into the more spoiler territory of our, of our view, but um, it has to do with the binary sunset. So I uh, same. I think we're all gonna come <laughs> over to get a little emotional. Yeah, I I absolutely love Last Jedi. I think it's my favorite Star Wars film. Awesome. Um, I am pretty much on par with you, HT. Um, I'm still kind of in the honeymoon phase with it because I just saw it yesterday morning, so I haven't had a lot of time to really like sit with it and ruminate on it. Um, so I don't know where it falls in my ranking yet. Um, it is going to be pretty high, like up there with Return of the Jedi, Empire Strikes Back, Force Awakens, which are like my top three. Um, it's probably above Force Awakens, definitely. Um, and I just really loved it. I Similar to HT, I love that it just deconstructed everything. It just like took the series and its themes and just like flipped them on their heads and just... Ryan Johnson completely committed to what they're doing with this new installment in the franchise. And I thought it was really fun and emotional. I loved all the characters. Rose is a huge standout for me. Um, She was my new favorite character by far. Um, And I just really liked it a lot. And I have a lot of thoughts and I can't wait to get into it. Um, So yeah, I am a big fan of The Last Jedi. Willoughby, please give us your thoughts. So I've been a fan of Star Wars for 20 years now. And this is by far the most emotional I've ever been watching a Star Wars movie. The Force Awakens, for all I love about it, it, like, looking back on it, it's a lot of fun. But I never really got, like, the emotion, like, I never... You know, I never I cheered up at when I saw the Millennial Falcon, but that was kind of it, Millennium Falcon. Um, this movie is the most like it wears its emotions on its sleeve, and I love that about this film. The, I think it's the most emotional Star Wars film since Return of the Jedi. I think that everything else, you know, like the 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 whole like in Return of the Jedi with Luke fighting Vader. Having knowing it is his father, that whole subplot is my favorite subplot in in the entire saga up until this point, because it's so well done and dramatic and melodramatic and all about you know facing your fears, facing your father, facing your whole identity, you know. And what I love about the the Last Jedi is that it brings those themes back to the forefront. Luke is dealing with a lot of shit in his life, and 
we were talking earlier in the podcast that we were talking about PTSD and having to deal with that stuff in Return of the Jedi, and it's not gone from him. And that's what I love about... I love the Luke journey in this movie. I love what how, what the journey that Rey goes on. It what took me it took me and I took the entire audience in 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 zigs and zags that I was not expecting. Um, the subplot on Kanto by was not the most well done part of the movie. So much fun. It was so much fun. And it had great themes that we can get into. Like that I think part of it, it I think it went on too long. And yes. it kind of, it, it kind of, it, 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 it was important. Mm-hmm. It was essential. It should not, it should not be cut, but it is the longest. Like, it wasn't the Raptor scene. So, like, exactly. Like, it, it, it was not. That scene still infuriates me. This, this, the, the, the casino planet is important. Um, but it's plot line kind of, it's not the most elegantly produced part of the movie. Either, but that being said, I love Finn and I love Rose so much, and their character journeys are amazing. I love the, I love the journey that Finn goes on, and I want to talk about that because that, like, his ambivalence towards the resistance, and then confirmation, so good, and we'll get that. We'll get to that. I love what Poe Dameron does in this movie <sighs> because it's so. He's so cocksure of himself, and then he gets put in his place. But at the same time... Sorry? By two women. By two women, and it's so good. It's like his two moms, and he's just, like, he's... It's so, like, fun. You know, we never get to... We never get to see infighting in the Rebellion. We never get to see different points of view, and that's what I love. Um, I wouldn't say moms, though, because I definitely saw some chemistry between Oscar Isaac and, and Laura Dern. Dern. Oh, there's that, yeah, too. Oh, same. Oh, but also, there Oscar so Isaac has that chemistry with everyone. Them. <laughs> Oscar, Oscar Isaac. Isaac has, yeah, sexual tension with literally everyone he comes he into contact like, with. He says hi and I was like, I ship it. <laughs> same. Same. Exactly. Like, there's that one moment there, and I'm like, oh, man, this is like a quadruple, like, ship. What's going on here? With Holdo, with Ray, everyone. BB-8, a porg, probably. Um, Him and Hux over the telecom, like that's a great moment. We'll get to. We can. We could talk. We could briefly talk about that. But so this saw this whole franchise has meant so much to me, and it was so good to see that this movie is was so well done. I can't remember the last time I had gotten. I had left a theater so exhausted emotionally because I had gone through such a roller coaster of emotions I, I keep saying the word emotion but i think that it brings me back to it like it was it was a whole film it wasn't a, it, there's no cliffhanger there's no you know previously on the last on the force awakens even though there's kind of that but like this is its own movie from beginning to end and i love that and i love I, its place in the star wars films and i can't wait to see more i saw a great point on twitter that ryan johnson's the work of maybe two, two and a half films in this one film. Oh, totally. This is basically, I thought there are things in this movie that I thought we weren't going to get to till episode nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he basically took all of JJ's mystery box questions, answered them, and said, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, he just threw it out the window. He didn't I even answer say them. I fuck you to, like, JJ Abrams, because I feel like <laughs> no, it wasn't plan. It, but but it, like, was a fuck, it was a fuck you to theories. It was a fuck yeah. you to fuck you to the the to the yeah. mystery box because what he did with with the Snoke question, the Ray question, the uh, Luke question, like all of that stuff. I think he just, I think he actually created more questions 
on the other hand too though mm-hmm. we could talk about that too i think he yeah. did there's definitely like what happens now i think that's the well, biggest question yeah there are more i think let's get into plot because i think we've okay touched yeah let's we, yeah we've done we've done general uh, um, things to talk about sure mm-hmm. and what i like about the plot in this one is that it was very like textbook screenplay and that there was a very obvious a plot b plot and c plot yes and the c plot could have been trimmed Agreed. And that um, we're talking about the Canto Bite sequence? Yes. yes. Well, yeah, Rose okay. and Finn. Rose and, yes. Rose and Finn, that Subplot. whole thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great, essential. I loved it. Could have been trimmed. Um, but they all, like, it was very kind of obvious where each of them, like, laid. And then they all came together at the end. So it felt very much just, like, textbook screenplay. This is how you write, like, a good storyline in a film where you have your clear plot point and your clear characters and where they fall, and then they all come together by the end. I also love how funny this film was. We mentioned the Hux and Poe call at the beginning of the film, which was hysterical. Also, Hux is one of the funniest characters in this franchise. Literally, he shows up on screen, doesn't say anything, and I burst out laughing because he's ridiculous. So like, Hux think, is ridiculous. Did you think that he was perhaps turned into more sort of like comedic relief this time around than he was in Force yes. Awakens? I definitely yes, think agreed. that. I think, I think what they did was they took his ridiculousness, his like high, his like high levels his uber levels of high strongness and um devotion to the first order and turned him into like the biggest like uh like definitely a broad character but like and like so a caricature funny. of like a british villain <laughs> yeah and like the, the, and it, it's completely de- deconstructed in the opening sequence with poe in which he he's like i have a gen- i have a message him. I have a message from General Organa. It's about his mother. Like, <laughs> and if you've read Bloodline, there's a bit of that in, um, in like uh, Leia's story with like the Hux family. It's yeah, Hux is an illegitimate child. <laughs> That's the spoiler alert. He's an illegitimate yeah. child. Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of um, sense. So there's that. But like, just Poe kind of bringing, like, taking the piss out of the First Order and being like, <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, and then the other part that I, like, I am not over all of the funny moments on uh, the island that Luke was on, mm-hmm. um, with, like, the fish nuns and Ray like, snatching your car, which is hilarious, and then <laughs> when Luke tells her to reach out, and she physically reaches out, and then he touches her with the leaf, and she's like, I can feel it! I can feel <laughs> the force! I was laughing so hard. Grumpy old man Luke is the best. I really love the humor because I think it was actually a return to some of the humor that we saw in the original trilogy, too. Because the prequels were very self-serious and it kind of created this image that Star Wars was like a stuffy sci-fi franchise when in fact there's a lot of jokes. Yeah, exactly. Like Carrie Fisher and and, um, Harrison Ford improvised a lot of their jokes in the original trilogy. Yeah. So there's a lot of great stuff. And the plot, I love the way it all converges and then keeps going. Mm-hmm. You know, like I thought we were going to hit the climax of the movie and then we were going to, like when they were leaving, when they finally like escaped the First Order, when Haldo, uh, she sacrificed herself by going to light speed through a sh- the Snoke's ship, which is an amazing sequence. I thought we were going to like end it there and go like, or, you know, somehow wrap it, it up. Somehow. Did it bother you guys that it seemed like the movie climaxed several times? Like, there seemed to be several endings. There end were points. a few endings. Yeah. Yeah. There were a few endings, but I was also not disappointed that mm-hmm. there were more endings. Because it, 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 it kind of, it did that roller coaster of, like, 
this, okay, we've, you know, culminated one plot, and now we've got one more thing to do, one last stand. And then on uh, the planet of Crate, the salt planet, like, it kept building, and it kept going further and further to, because, like, halfway through the movie, I was like, wait a minute, aren't we supposed to be on the ice planet, or whatever the planet, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the salt, salt planet? planet? And we finally get to there, like, in the last half hour of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, so this is this is wild. Um, and I thought that, you know, it's very much like a combination of the plots, like, a, not a retread, I don't want to say retread, but there's definitely elements of Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like we were saying earlier that Ryan Johnson did the work of two and a half movies in this movie. I think it's both, he kind of, he kind of took the idea of doing, you know how we've we've talked about how Star Wars is like a circular poem mm-hmm. and that there's refrains and there's the same things that repeat in the same sequences. Like you can look at the, the Phantom Menace and A New Hope in very similar ways, uh, Attack of the Clones and Empire Strikes Back, Revenge of the Sith and Return of the Jedi. They all have very similar things that happened in both in the first and fourth, second and fifth and third and sixth movies. The Force Awakens kind of did the same thing, where it, we've a lot of criti- a harsh criticism of the Force Awakens is that it's a retread of A New Hope, and there's a lot of similar plot structures going on there. There's a, there's a quote unquote Death Star like planet. The Last Jedi takes all of that and subverts it and says, "Listen, we're gonna get we're we're gonna show you the the Emperor's throne room in the in the middle of this trilogy, and we're gonna have everything that happens in what probably." Probably not, but like the idea of what we thought would be in episode nine ha- takes place during this movie. So let's talk about the ways that this movie um, sort of just upends our our uh, expectations of what will happen. So in the uh, Last Jedi, we expected to learn about Ray's parentage. We learned to see to meet Snoke for the first time and see like what his ultimate plan was. We wanted to learn uh, whether. Kylo Ren was going to turn back to the light side. We wanted to know what happened to Luke Skywalker. So how did this movie just kind of completely <laughs> destroy our expectations of what these four questions would be? Well, first of all, we don't get an we have no idea where Snoke comes from and then and now he's dead. Yes. So Snoke is basically turns out to be a completely unimportant character. And for some, it may be frustrating that there was so much buildup to having Snoke be like the big bad only for him to be, uh, spoilers, cut down uh, halfway through the film by Kylo Ren. Uh, he misreads Kylo's uh, intentions and thinks it's yeah. sort of towards Rey, but it's actually towards him. And, you know, he's basically tossed aside and given a very anticlimactic death. And it's amazing because... It's so good. That so, scene is one of my favorite scenes in the entire the, film. Yeah, the thing is, like, Snoke sequence. was always a very uninteresting villain to me. Agreed. Because he was so much in line with what we expect a Star Wars villain to be. He was the... He's very much Emperor, Emperor 2.0. Yep, exactly. And you don't want to... Like, Ryan Johnson doesn't want to retread any of the last uh, films. He wants to complete create something completely new. And in making Kylo Ren the ultimate big bad, he's, like, the most most interesting and most personal villain we've had in star wars thus far and i think it defeats kind Agreed. of the star so wars much villain better problem. than anakin because mm-hmm. that's the thing about anakin is that we we always knew there was a bigger fish to quote qui-gon jinn there's always a bigger fish kylo ren is the bigger fish yeah which is great and it's interesting that people say like they're disappointed in the villains in this because like is kylo ren really a villain but like 
um, I mean, I think Kylo Ren is one of the more fascinating characters, and I wouldn't mind a redemption arc for him in the next film. Um, but he is really interesting as an antagonist. And also, like, let's not forget the First Order still exists as, yeah. like, an oppressive dictatorship. The Empire like, didn't fall immediately after Emperor Palpatine's demise. The yeah. same thing goes for the First Order. Like, there's still, there is leadership. There's Kylo Ren. There's General Hux. Like, it's not dead. I think, and I think the misdirection of Snoke is actually really great. Um, and I think it also, like, there are questions I still have, like, about Kylo's upbringing. Like... When did he start training with Luke? Like, when did Snoke get to him? Like, when did he start transitioning from the light side to the dark side? And, like, how did that all happen? But at the same time, it's not really important. It's probably really. going to be one of those, like, books that will come out after the, either after yeah. episode nine or like, during... I don't really care either. Like Exactly. It's not to, important. Yeah, I was talking to someone after I watched the movie, and they're like, I want to know more, more, more about Snoke. What happened to him? How do he rise to power so quickly? And, like, I don't really care. Kylo Ren is the more interesting character here. He's yes. the more interesting villain. He is actually the more modern villain. And we're so set in this expectation of having this traditional sci-fi, almost fantasy villain of this big, oppressive, um, evil force. And Kylo Ren here is offering us all the complexities and all the dualities of a modern villain. And that's amazing. That's amazing in a Star Wars yes. movie. Agreed. He, he does... He does what the prequels wanted to do with Anakin Skywalker, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, because... Kylo Ren is a super complex character. He's got light and dark within him. He chooses, and he, we, we, you, you know, you can look at it. Him saying he's ma- he's manipulating Rey into thinking that he's going to return just in in time to take over the First Order and have her join him. He genuinely believes he can turn her to the dark side, where she believes she can genuinely turn him to the light side. And that's a great and conflict. It's this, one, it's this wonderful conflict that is. Um, encapsulated in the struggle, struggle to get Anakin and Luke's lightsaber. Mm-hmm. That moment, that that wide shot of the two of them on either side of the screen, and the lightsaber in the middle, like hung there by just the the will of the Force on both of their sides. They are struggling to to. It's it's the perfect balance like metaphor mm-hmm. you know and then they rip it into and that goes to show you that their link is broken that they are ready to they have cha- you know they have um clearly drawn lines in the sand kylo is like first and foremost a villain but second foremost he's got he's still got inner conflict in him i don't think that conflict will ever go away so or, let's, you know, he is so conflicted yes, at least of, at least of right now so let's talk about the other subplots um Basically, how this movie is essentially Ray and Luke's Luke's film. And this yes. is very much a, Luke, a film about Luke and about him <clears throat> starting his journey all those years ago as a farm boy, staring across the horizon at the binary sunset. I love that line, by the way. My favorite line of the film was when you're still a farm boy, just looking looking past the horizon, aren't you? I don't remember who said it. I think it was. I think it was Leia, Yoda. Wasn't it? Was it, Snoke? was it Yoda? Oh no, he said he's. You're always looking off into the distance. Yes. No, it's like something about oh, the horizon, but it's still like it's. It resonated with me so much because you see that final shot with Luke at the binary sunset, um, shortly before you know he passes on and passes on like the new, um, the new burden of of the Jedi generation to Rey. But um, this was a really fascinating deconstruction of of uh, Luke's arc for me so like him and just like jedi myth in general the I jedi think. myth in general yeah so he 
basically, you know, flees from the the burden of being the savior of the universe because he feels this guilt at essentially turning Kylo Ren to the dark side. And it's... In a momentary lapse of judgment. He saw what he saw in his father in Kylo Ren, in Ben Solo, and thought he could end it there. And I think that's such an interesting character development for Luke Skywalker because you see that conflict in himself. And you see the guilt on his face the entire time he's with Rey. And... I'm glad that he redeemed himself at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, he came and he fought. He didn't even he he fought with his mind. He didn't fight with his actual self. He took he took down the first order with a laser sword. I love it. So, my favorite part about Luke's arc is they this ongoing theme in throughout the last Jedi that our heroes are fallible. Yes. So, Failure is the greatest lesson Yoda says. I think I feel like it was sort of Ryan Johnson's subconscious way of commenting on how we have uh, idolized and loved these characters to the point of idolatry, and he wants to point out that you know these are still complex human beings. They're still characters that can make mistakes, and we might idolize and worship them as being like the epitome of the Jedi Order or all of these badass characters, for example. But they still have these, they still make these mistakes that, you know, lead to their downfall or lead to others' downfalls. And I think that's so fascinating. I love that, you know, Luke is allowed to be a coward, essentially, and be less than a hero. And that makes him a much more interesting character to me, more so than when he was going through the hero's journey and he was, you know, a sensitive, whiny, uh, normal farm boy and came on to be a great hero who was, in fact, the chosen one. And now he, he, he buckled under that legacy, under that burden of being the chosen one and was not able to live up to its expectations. And that is an amazing sort of follow-up to that. Yeah, um, I, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to, like, add to that because I completely agree with both of you about Luke's journey and like how great it was and how emotional he made me. Um, And one of the biggest things I took away from this film going along those lines is like, there's now debate about Ray's parents because like Kylo and her discussed how they were nothing. And so they weren't like Skywalkers or Kenobi or anyone we know. Um, There's debate about whether or not he was lying and whether or not they are actually characters we know. Um, But I actually really love the idea of her parents being no one because it, gives this idea of, like, Rey isn't a Skywalker. She's not, like, destined for greatness, but just in who she is, she can become a hero. Anybody can can be a hero. Mm -hmm. And I I think there's an ongoing theme with that, because then you have Rose talking about growing up in a mining colony that was, like, nothing. Like, she wasn't important. She Mm -hmm. works in the background of the Resistance, but she rises up to be a hero. Finn was raised in the First Order. He didn't even have a name. He had no identity. He rises up to be a hero. And then there's the idea of... Ryan Johnson giving the middle finger to midi-chlorians, which is great, the best. And the idea that the Force is, like, all around us. And, like, technically everyone can connect with the Force, but you not everyone has, like, the potential to, like, tap into it and really, like, use it almost. But the idea that, like, anyone can be a hero and, like, anyone can use the Force, anyone can... There's there's a quote... their destiny. There's a quote I'm going to pull from a Miss Marvel comic. Uh... Good is not what you are. Good is what you do. And I think yes. that's the essential the essence of what 
Last Jedi is. And I really love, you know, let's talk a little bit about that Chosen One mythology and how it's so intertwined with Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. And that's what we see in the original trilogy. But here, it's about taking that, breaking down that Chosen One mythology and disseminating the power to everyone. Everyone can, you know, rise up and be what they want to be and be a hero, like you said, Anya. And we see that in the final scene of the movie. Um, broom kid! The broom that kid. final shot mm-hmm. will stick with, stick with me until I die. I think that broom that kid. was... That broom kid, they, where, you know, like, he, you know, I was like, oh, they're retelling his story. That's a fun way to end it. And then he takes the broom with the force, and then he raises it up like a lightsaber and looks out to the stars. And guys, I'm, cry- I'm tearing up again now, because... <laughs> That was, you know, that's every kid who watches Star Wars. Is they want to be a Jedi. They want to be a hero. They want to do everything that they can to be good. And that's so important to show on screen, especially in this day and age. Exactly. So, and the fact that, I mean, let's for a moment just praise the fact that these films are now so diverse and, like, our heroes are women of color and women and men of color. And it's just so wonderful to see characters like Ray and Rose and Finn and Poe and Leia and Admiral Holdo. And it's just so we get to see ourselves on screen being heroes. And that's really important. I love that Anya. So it's easy. I think to overlook, we've been talking, we've been kind of fixating on, you know, the main plot points that you would think of, which is Ray and Luke and all these sort of grand characters. But I think that this movie uh, makes it clear that the the rebels are just as important, just as uh, yes. in the case of, you know, the everyone, every normal person being as being able to be a hero. So for me, actually, the the um, focus and the, like, the rising up of the rebels and like their storyline was what I wanted Rogue One to be. Because I remember yes. Rogue One was supposed to be about you know, the unsung heroes, the people who were on the ground and would never get the glory that the main heroes would get, like the Skywalkers. And here we actually see that happen, uh, not only through Finn and Rose's storyline, but also in the the fact that you know the rebels are fleeing the entire time from the the First Order, and you know their numbers are quickly diminishing. They dwindle. Yeah. They dwindle. They're down to like a couple dozen and yet they still keep that hope alive and they're still the best heroes of this movie that we've seen. And I think that's like the most amazing part for me. And we see um, Paige Tico, Rose's sister, mm-hmm. sacrifice herself for the, for, the, for the rebellion, for the resistance through that beautiful sequence with the bombs mm-hmm. and, and like the opening sequence was great it was. like the fact like the i've never seen just as a side note i've never seen this many close-ups in a movie in in, uh, in in a star wars movie and like the close-up on her face as she tries to get the detonator down to her and then catches it with oh my god beautiful it's such a beautiful shot and you know it it takes it you know it doesn't just fridge her character it makes her character important it makes her character a symbol of the resistance someone who is ready to die for this um group of people who want to bring hope back to the galaxy like it doesn't just make her a throwaway character it and the fact that there's rose who 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 lives on and who is able to take her her sister and her story and push it forward is so great Mm -hmm. and like i can't like that opening sequence is so wonderfully well done 
So let's move on to the characters of this movie and all the returning and old characters and what they, uh, how they shine and bring about, move on the story. Uh, who would you say are your favorite characters of this film? Anya, you first. Okay. Um, I mean, Poe is still my boy. Like, he will always be my boy. Um, so he's my favorite. Um, but Rose was my other big favorite. Um, I just love, I love, you know me, I love heroes. I love good guys. I love the earnest, like, people who just believe in goodness. And that is Poe and Rose to, like, their cores. They're very earnest as heroes and um, willing to just, like, go balls to the walls and just commit to their plans to save the day. Um, and, you know, they have to learn some lessons in being a little less reckless. But I love that. Um, we've talked about Luke a lot, so I don't need to go into that again, but I really love Luke. Um, and I actually really love Ray and Kylo's dynamic. Um, I find them fascinating. Their fight sequence together was one of my favorite scenes in the entire film. My adrenaline was like pumping. It was also super hot. It was pretty hot. I don't I don't ship them, but they there's there's definitely like a chemistry their, and attention there. Their <laughs> dynamic is very fascinating. Yeah, that that scene where they both turn on the on Snoke's guards at mm-hmm. the same time yes. with their lightsabers oh. was so cool. It was so great. Um and I mean I'd be remiss not to mention Leia just in the fact that she's our princess and we all miss Carrie Fisher and seeing her and Billy Lord together in scenes was real emotional. Uh Willoughby, what were your favorite characters in arcs? Uh, definitely Luke. We've talked about him a lot, so I won't go into more. Um, Ray, I love that she's an ever optimist. Like she never loses hope, and I love that you know she does. She'll do anything to get Luke to come back. Um, she's, she's also so, like a young Luke in that she believes Ben can be like turned really easily, the way Luke believed Vader could be turned. That's what I love about it is that even though you know Snoke is manipulating them. Kylo Ren is probably doing some manipulation there too. She still believes that anybody that he has good in him and he can turn back to the light side and has the same a little bit of naivete but also optimism. And optimism shouldn't shouldn't be confused with naivete because you can be an optimist but also like smart and like, you know, knowing of the world and Rey is knowing of the world. She lived on a junk planet for 19 years. Like she knows what, you know, like she knows that the world is harsh, but she she's still an optimist. She still believed her family could come back. And so Rey is probably my favorite character. I love Finn's journey on this uh, you know, the idea of him like being, you know, questioning the resistance because the um, you know, the the at, on the casino planet, he learns that you know, hot, rich people are selling weapons to both sides and he's conflicted about that he's like what the hell and then he finally makes the decision to fight for the resistance and when phasma says you are scum and he goes rebel scum and just watches her fall into the abyss was such a powerful moment him choosing some you know choosing to fight Choosing to fight for the for the resistance was so powerful. Just the just his look on his face when he says "rebel scum" and he has a smile. Oh, it's so perfect. It's so, so wonderful. So Ray and Finn, and then they're when they finally get back together was such a great moment. Um, I love BB-8 in this movie. We we haven't talked about BB-8. He's such a fighter. He's such a little small fighter. He's, He's so, so I love when they just like put a box on him. 
Oh, it's yeah. It when, they're, like, they're just, when they're infiltrating, and he's just like running into things, they're just like, "Look at the sky!" We'll just put a box on. No him. one's questioning that this box is moving. <laughs> yeah, and like, and then uh, BB-8's goth girlfriend is like, "What the hell is this?" I mean, BB hate. BB hate. Um, so BB hate so great. The fact that he took an ATST and just started smashing the entire place up was great. Um, Rose is. A phenomenal character. I'm so glad she exists in this world. I'm so ready to see more of her. She's getting a book, uh, like a, a whole book coming out oh. about her. Probably will take place before episode eight, but it's still great. Um, so I'm so and just she has what's what's the quote um, about? We don't. Um, we shouldn't be like fighting the things we hate. We should be saving the things we love. Exactly. I after love saving, that line. After saving Finn, and it's such a perfect encapsulation of the themes of this movie. That her character, the idea of the rebellion, the idea of hope, just so good. Um, and yeah, uh, Leia, of course, like she's so great in this movie. And knowing that Carrie Fisher has passed away has ma- made all her scenes all, ever all the more poignant. Um, so, uh, yeah. And she um, used the force to save herself. She does. It's she so great. She used the force to save herself, and then we see her with the blaster again, uh, when yes. she shoots Poe. <laughs> hilarious. Oh my, when she slaps Poe, they're hilarious together. I love, I love I, them. I wish there was more Leia, because, you know, they, when they filmed this movie, they did not know that this would be her last film, so I'm sure they would have beefed up her plot a little bit because she spent a lot of the film MIA, which is unfortunate, but when the moments that she did spend on screen were phenomenal. It makes me wonder, since, like, they're setting out, because, like, Force Awakens was Han, this is Luke, and episode nine is supposed to be Leia's film, like, they're yeah. doing mm-hmm. a send-off for all three, and I'm wondering how they're going to resolve that. Yeah. I'm not sure. They said they're not going to do CG for her so i'm not sure what they're gonna do but i'm sure it'll be done in the best way because carrie fisher is such a an amazing person and so like they they'll 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 get uh, they'll i think they'll send her off in the right way Mm -hmm. but i can see where they were going because at the end it's leia and ray they have a moment about mourning luke and so like you can see that 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 they have a they're gonna have they were they would have had a relationship um a, yeah. like a mentor and uh to rebuild the rebellion as well exactly like because mm-hmm. like han mentored ray in the first luke mentor- mentored ray now it's leia's turn so um we'll see mm-hmm. who were your favorite characters hd first yeah. i gotta give a shout out to the porgs <laughs> who i love beyond belief i did not I thought that, you know, maybe I'd be disappointed by them, but every time they came on screen, I was squealing like a little girl, and I absolutely love them. Honestly, the creatures in this movie made half of the movie for me, just because they were all so well-designed and so... The foxes! Well, the foxes the actually were kind of little crystal Pokemon! Like my least favorite, uh, foxes actually. Foxes were great. They were so pretty. They were nice, but they didn't really do anything for me. They weren't cute. Like the, like the nuns. The fish <laughs> the nuns. Porgs, the fish nuns. Um... Uh, I really love Rose Rose's uh, storyline, even though her subplot was quite clunky and kind of a little bit not shoehorned into the into the story, but did feel like they, it could have been trimmed down. I really like what she did, and she helped move that plot and and subplot along really well. And I also want to give a shout out to her line where she's like, "I wish I could punch this beautiful like town." Like I loved that line. That beautiful line. Yeah, she really she brought home what how that war was affecting real people 
which is what I really liked about her because she was the one who helps sort of spread that uh, inspiration and hope amongst the people that they meet at Canto Bite. So in a way, she kind of becomes the real hero of the, of the small people here, which is what I loved about her. Um, I will say, Poe Dameron got to me this time around, yes. Anya. I was telling her before we recorded this episode, you know, I was like, I respect Oscar Isaac. I think he's a great actor. I just don't really get, you know, how he's everyone's boyfriend. But this, this movie, I got it. I understood. Finally. You've seen the light, HD. <laughs> Especially when Poe just spent one scene with every character and I was like, I ship it, man. <laughs> oh my God. I ship him with everyone. Everyone. I, I, I do need to say just a quick shot. I, Holdo is um, canonically queer from the books. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. I, yeah, she is pansexual. Oh, she talks oh. about it with Leia. She talks about it with Leia in Leia's book, um, which is great. Um, but I am still, you know, like, I know it's like sort of a fan thing of Finn and Poe. I don't necessarily need them to get together, but I still really read Poe as queer. And I would love even just like, a quick confirmation or like a line of it like i think it would like mean a lot to people it would mean a lot to me if they like did something in episode nine with him and just like alluded to maybe the fact that he's queer i think that would you know pushing that diversity and oscar isaac well. is aware of that mm-hmm. yes so he's probably like if they're gonna do anything for in, in nine i think he might be the one to push that forward mm. yeah so other characters I liked. I liked Holdo a lot. Uh, she was great. She was really Laura Dern great. is excellent. Um, I do want to point out, though, apparently, you know, one of the big conflicts between uh, Finn and, not Finn, but between Poe and Holdo was the fact that she was sort of using the rest of their gas to go off into this uncharted destination. And Poe was really adamant about his sort of suicide mission to shut off the tracking device from the uh, First Order. And that was the big conflict. And the reason that they never was were able to actually, like, commun- to fix that conflict was because they didn't, Haldo didn't communicate that they were headed towards the mineral planet, which was um, the base, one of their old rebellion bases. So ac- apparently, according to, like, lore leading up to this, the reason she didn't tell anyone was because they didn't know about the tracker, but they had assumed that there was a mole amongst the rebellion. Right. Because how else do they know where they are? Yeah, and which is something that I think should have been included in the movie because that was, I think, a big plot hole in terms of the film. Like, the film isn't without its plot holes, but its characters and its themes really hold it together for me. I think if there was one line where she said... We couldn't. We can't. We couldn't trust anybody because they kept finding out where they where we were. Mm-hmm. Someone could have been relaying our our location to the first yeah. order. I think it was Just something one that was line cut. Would have, yeah, would have cleaned that up a bit. But yeah. I agree that I liked the conflict. But I, but even if there was this one line about that resolution, I think mm-hmm. it would have been a stronger a stronger conflict. Yeah, I have two quick things. Like very quick, Captain Phasma's the Boba Fett of this franchise. Yeah, people are pulling her up, and she's okay. No, well, but um, also it's like they keep pushing her as well. She was on the entire press tour, and she's barely in this film, which is a shame for Gwendolyn Christie because yeah, she's great. I love Gwendolyn Christie. I wish she had gotten FaceTime, and she's a great actress, but they really just kept pushing she's her. She's the Boba Fett. Yeah, like she's only there for marketing purposes, which is sad. Yeah. Like, she has a cool costume, and she's a great actress, but she didn't serve any point in the plot. Um, do you guys think we're going to see Benicio Del Toro again? We might. We might. I'm okay if we don't. That he was a character also who also didn't work for me, because um, I think that his portrayal was interesting and compelling, but 
I just, I thought his character could have been completely done away with. Yeah, I think he was there to teach Finn a lesson. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. he was part of Finn's arc um, and kind of opening Finn's eyes to certain things, which I appreciated. And I thought, I mean, I'm always happy to watch Benicio Del Toro because he's a great actor. Um, I don't but expect I him was, sure. Yeah, I was, he did kind of feel like a point that stuck out a little bit yeah yeah that was for me i think the biggest problem another big problem for me was i'm going into criticisms now is that i wish that snoke wasn't cgi i feel like in terms of what capacity he served they could have just had andy circus and that would have been just much more interesting because i yeah even with makeup on or like a bald bald cap that Mm -hmm. would have been fine exactly so yeah like also he looks like dear david from Adam Ellis's Twitter account. I saw him and I was like, oh, that looks like growing up Dear David. Yeah, he, he's not a, he doesn't have a good design, really. Um, so my favorite character is obviously Luke's, Luke and his arc. It was just a defining moment of Last Jedi for me. Uh, so there are a couple periphery characters who did not work, like we just mentioned. But otherwise, the characters were such a strong point of this movie. Um, so I think that'll wrap up our discussion on characters. Uh, but since we talked touched on themes a lot, uh, I want to end this review of Last Jedi with our thoughts on where Episode Nine can pick up from this. J.J. Abrams has a huge has a huge challenge ahead of him in terms of yeah. just like Ryan Johnson kind of just left the chessboard with pieces scattered all over, and J.J. Yeah. Abrams now has to sort of pick that up and create a cohesive ending. So, where do you guys think that this could go? I think it could go in, like, a one-last-stand sort of battle with the First Order. And, like, I I think we're going to... I hope they uh, put a couple years in between the events of The Last Jedi and the events of Episode Nine Because I don't think it will, would, would work if it was just six Rebels left um, in the Millennium Falcon uh, in Episode Nine. I think it would be... You kind of have to put some time in between the two movies now because you need to build up your the resistance back up and i think that'd be fun to see um i don't because like that was that's the thing is everything that happened in in this movie i thought was going to happen also in episode nine so it'd be interesting to see what becomes of kylo ren uh how ray does in her journey as a jedi you know will you know is she gonna be is she focused on training herself training others just being a rebel commander like luke was in empire strikes back uh so like i'm excited to see all that i'm excited to see what finn does in the in the resistance like what is his what will his job be because in this movie he goes straight from waking up to going on a plot so he doesn't really have a place in the resistance as like a commander or anything poe obviously is the head of the x-wings so like it'll be interesting to see where this all goes yeah, there are a few things that I absolutely want um, in my heart of hearts. Queer Poe Dameron, obviously. Um, I want the good guys to win, obviously. They have to. Um, but the thing that I am still very much stuck on, and I've been stuck on this since Force Awakens, is, um, again, how they're going to do Kylo's storyline. And for me, a big thing is no redemption by death. I do not want that. I do not want a Vader redemption by death. I think it's lazy. Um, if he dies, I want it to be that he stayed evil till the end, and they defeated him. And if there is a redemption arc, um, he needs to live through it, and he needs to pay the price, and pay his penance, and it needs to be hard. He has to claw his way back to redeeming himself. 
Um, Because I think that is the harder, more compelling story to write for his character. Um, So I'm, that's the one that I'm, it's funny, he's not even like one of my favorite characters, but I'm just like, I want them to do that arc justice the way they did not do for Anakin. And so that's what I really want from episode nine. The good guys to win. I want Kylo to be compelling. And I want more queerness. (laughs) HD, what about you? Um, I think a time jump, like you said, is essential for the next film because, you know, it's leading up so much into how everyone has a bit of the force in them and there are so many potential new Jedi who will lead on a new generation. And I think we'll probably start off with Rey maybe training a new generation of Jedi or learning to. Um, Paul was obviously sort of being handed the commands by Leia in this film and kind of learning about all the... Uh, the pros and cons. I don't want to say pros and cons, but like the limits of leadership, I guess mm-hmm. you would say. Um, and Finn too will play an essential part. I'm not sure how, but it'll be interesting to see where they pick up. Um, Kylo is an interesting. It's kind of a nice sort of uh, not red card, wild card for me because I am both rooting for him and not kind of in the same vein yeah. that that Anya is. You know for. The first film was kind of setting, Force Awakens was kind of setting him up to be the you know, Zuko of this story. But now he's just gone so much in a, on a, in a darker space. So I wonder if re- redemption is even possible. It would be yeah. fascinating if they could pull it off. Um, but if they don't, it would not make for a good follow-up to Last Jedi. But I hope that J.J. Abrams will take it upon himself to follow up on Ryan Johnson's work and not just kind of try to reset the board. Because um, this is a really interesting place to leave a blockbuster franchise. It's something I think that we really haven't seen in a lot of blockbusters before. So it's fascinating to see how it will sort of live up to that and um, bring us to a new radical place for Star Wars. And JJ, JJ really knows how to ask questions. He doesn't know how to answer them very well. So it's going to be interesting. He Let me work with Ryan Johnson. Those questions have already, already been answered, so maybe he shouldn't ask more questions. <laughs> yeah, remember when uh, the guy who did Jurassic World was supposed to do <laughs> episode <goodness>. 9? <laughs> oh my god, we all were saved a bullet from that one. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think that's a great place to end our review. We should rate the film now. Mm-hmm. All right. Out of five stars, what would each of you give Star Wars The Last Jedi? I'll go first. I'm going to go ahead and say five, because I can forgive Canto Bite being a little long, because it's so important. I am going to go with a four. All right, and I also give it a four. So, 4.3 out of five stars, which is still a great rating. Exactly. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. All right. Ruby, why don't you start us off? What do you really like this week? I saw Ladybird, the new film by Greta Gerwig, starring Saoirse Ronan. I really love this movie. I love a good coming-of-age, slice-of-life film, and that's exactly what this movie is. It's got great writing, and it's got great 
characters. Um, I think the acting is phenomenal, and particularly with Saoirse Ronan as well as Laurie Metcalf. I'm excited to see them win a lot of awards. I think this movie is excellent, one of the best of the year. And I can't wait for more Greta Gerwig projects because I think she's got a great sense of voice in her writing. I think it's such so uh, real. Um, and uh, I think her the, the way she writes her characters and the dynamics between them are very excellent. And uh, I'm excited to see more. All right. Anya, what is your really like for this week? So I saw my most anticipated film of the year this week, finally. Took a whole year to get to it, but we finally got there. And I saw Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water. <laughs> um, it is far and away my favorite film of the year. It has it has become number one. Um, there are a handful of films I still haven't seen yet that are on my list to see, mostly like Oscar contenders, like Lady Bird, Call Me By Your Name, etc. Um so I can't do my top ten yet, but I doubt any of them will knock Shape of Water out of number one. Um, it is everything I want it to be. It's empathetic, and it's compassionate, and it's beautiful, and it's lyrical, and it's so exquisitely made. Um, and it's about, you know, underdogs and marginalized groups saving the day and, like, you know, fighting for a happy ending. And... It was everything I wanted it to be, and it is the best film of the year, and I'm going to root for it to win all the things. Um, I would love to see Gamble Toro accept a Best Oscar, a Best Director Oscar. Can you imagine his glee and his just, like, happy self? He would be accepting. so cute! Right? I would love that. Um, and an added bonus, I randomly ended up seeing it with the star of the film, Doug Jones. Um, that's wild it wasn't a q a it wasn't like a scheduled thing he was just there to see it with some friends and he sat in the row in front of us and i kept staring at him during the credits and i was like i think that's doug jones and it was and we talked to him afterwards he is the most gracious sweetest human being you will ever meet um he is so lovely and he gave a great performance as well i'm bummed that he's not getting more like awards talk especially when you consider the fact that he did the exact same thing sally hawkins did just in a costume like in prosthetics um he he danced uh sally hawkins dance but backwards and in costume exactly (laughs) so i love it best film of the year i'm so happy that it lived up to all my expectations I'm so glad that you guys both love these films, because uh, the next film I am I that is my really like is also one that you mentioned, Anya. Call me by your name. Oh, I finally saw it, and it <coughs> is a sumptuous, warm, breathtaking film about love and loss, and the ecstasy and pain of life, and how each of them are so beautiful. And it's it's just. It's a gorgeous film with the best performance of one of the best performances of the year by Timothy Chalamet. Uh, Army Hammer is just a specimen of humanity in it. It really just emphasizes how he is this Adonis of um, humankind, and, and like there's a lot of parallels drawn between him and the Greek statues that they study within the film. And it's this just gorgeous sort of coming of age and coming out film. Uh, that plays sort of like 
waking from a dream. It's very hazy and warm and comforting, but at the same time, extremely bittersweet, uh, just because it's just like a, a something that you can't quite reach at the end of the tunnel. And uh, it's definitely one of my favorite films of the year. I might have I can't to put wait. it. I can't wait to see it. I actually might put it like equally in terms of how much I loved it and Shape of Water. It is it's a gorgeous film. I highly recommend it. So that is the end of our episode. If you guys have any thoughts on Star Wars: The Last Jedi, Lady Bird, Shape of Water, Call Me by Your Name, basically all the big movies right now. A lot of movies right now. Yeah, definitely come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. You can uh, listen to us on SoundCloud where you where you can listen to us there. And you can rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play. So please do that. And don't forget, in two weeks, it's our 100th episode where we're going to be doing a roundup of what we've really liked in 2017 in pop culture. And we want to hear from you. We want voice memos. We want you to email us at millennialfalconpodcast at gmail.com with either a voice memo or please send us an email with a blurb of what you really liked. We will read it on air for you. Send us a message on Facebook with what you really like of, in 2017. You can DM us on Twitter. Uh, we will read it for you if you're uncomfortable with your voice memo or you don't have the means to record. So uh, with that, where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at hchanbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.